today on Ag News Daily. And Wagyu um, animal steak, they're marbling is different than Angus um, or any other conventional breed beef. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here, still joining you from New Orleans, as they say down here, Nolens. And I'm joined by Mike Pearson, who is in still the chilly Iowa. Yes, it is chilly, but we are officially out of the polar vortex. Yes. About 9 o'clock this morning, the temperatures climbed back above zero. So we are in positive temperatures, so things are looking up here in the frozen heartland. Yeah, but I heard they're supposed to get cold again next week. Well, yeah. I mean, Not that winter. cold, but I think pretty yeah. chilly still. Yep, I'm sure we've got, you know, two months of that ahead of us. But at least today, the sun is out. And the temperatures are above zero, so you got to be thankful for yeah. what we can get. Yeah, no kidding. I'm thankful I'm not there. Well, of course, Delaney, and you're not mm-hmm. here because you are down, as you mentioned, in New Orleans, and you are there for the Cattle Industry Convention. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you've seen. What have you learned? What's been going on? What's the talk of the uh, uh, convention hall down there in New Orleans? Well, I really just like talking to different producers. I mean, because you get people from all across the industry. You get stalkers, you get feeders, you get packers, you get cow-calf guys and gals. I just like listening to uh, producers and what they're what they're doing on their operations. Um, of course, there's a huge trade show down here, so people are talking about new products rolling out on the market. Pharmaceutical reps are talking about, you know, what to do. Um, in, in cold times and stuff like that. So there's just a lot of information being shared at this convention. What's the coolest thing you've learned since you've been down there? Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to share that yet because I want everybody to stay tuned for today's interview. Like I mentioned yesterday, it's with a guy who raises Wagyu beef in uh, Craig, Nebraska, which I think he said is like an hour maybe north of uh, Lincoln or west, I can't remember now, I think north, um, but just fascinating stuff, what they're doing over there, and talking about, you know, the the process of going from conventional to now doing Wagyu, and it's just, I think, super fascinating. Be good Friday episode. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Anybody who can find a way to add value in this market, that exactly. is a, a phenomenal thing to do. Exactly, and he talks about that too, so like I said, stay tuned, it's a good interview, good conversation. Stay tuned. We'll be playing it here in just a few short minutes. In the meantime, Delaney, we had some news come out of Washington, D.C. this morning. We did. Namely, the uh, job numbers. Uh-huh. We had the best job gains in 11 months in January. Job growth has surged, which is good news for those of us who are in the protein markets, all your friends down there, of course, are, we need people earning money to keep buying them ribeyes and pork chops and chicken breast and so forth. Um, the flip side of that good report was the unemployment rate, which did mm. tick up. It climbed to a seven-month high of 4%. However, um, a lot of that, we don't quite know exactly what percentage of it, but a fair amount of that jump in unemployment was caused by federal workers going on unemployment for the first time during this shutdown. So now they're all back to work. Uh, Next month, we should see that unemployment number drop, um, and kind of we can get rid of some of this noise from the shutdown. Yes. And um, looking at economies, looking at China's economy, actually, uh, going off of what you said there, they are reporting 
their factory activity has shrank to the lowest level in three years, and their economic data continues to show that they are suffering pretty poorly from the trade war. And Mike, I actually thought you were going to start with the big announcement from from their meeting this past couple of days. Well, why don't you go ahead and make that announcement? Okay. Yes, I didn't talk about it, but it is uh, uh, it, it's news. Yes, so... Yesterday, Vice Premier Liu He announced from the Oval Office after his meeting with President Trump that he was going to be buying soybeans, or China would be buying soybeans immediately, and five million tons per day. So uh, there were well, some there were some concerns that perhaps he misspoke, or the interpreter misspoke, or misunderstood him when he said per day. Yes, it sounds like now the uh, they've gotten that all situated. It sounds as though China is or did pledge to buy five million metric tons, basically double the amount of business they've done so far, uh, not on a per day basis. That was a, like <laughs> yeah. a, a translation error because they they would have bought us out of uh, out of soybeans before too long had yeah. they on that. It would have been nice, but uh, yeah. So they are going to buy some beans. We still don't have any progress on intellectual property and some mm -hmm. of the bigger structural things. So there is still the possibility that come March 1st, this tariff right. war, you know, jump right back in because China did not pledge to lift the tariffs. The organizations that will be buying soybeans will be state-owned entities that are exempt from paying that 25% tariff into China. So that's the news there. But yeah, that is good news. Yeah, and it definitely gave soybean the soybean market some life today it did it gave them some life especially last night into the overnight mm -hmm. trade we had uh, quite a bit of games when we were still trying to figure out whether or not they were going to buy <laughs> yeah. five million tons a day uh once the the truth kind of came out the market settled down but we'll get to that in just a little bit delaney yes but yeah good catch uh, yes important story it is for sure well we well, also actually, know sorry go ahead I was going to say, while we're talking exports, I do have an mm -hmm. updated calendar for USDA uh, oh. weekly export sales reports. So, listeners, we know, we talked to Tony McDonald yesterday, we did get the report for the week ending December 20th, that came out yesterday morning. The report for the week ending December 27th will be published a week from today, February 7th. The report for the week ending January 3rd will be published February 14th, and then a combined report for everything from January 10th through February 14th will be published on February 22nd, and that will get us up to date with those export reports. So those are going to be the ones to keep an eye on. We'll see if and when China was buying and mm -hmm. or unknown uh, mm -hmm. buyers buying, and we'll, uh, mm -hmm. we'll know how much. And then by the 22nd, we'll be all caught up. I'm interested to see not only soybeans, but... Um pork yes absolutely it'll be yeah yeah i have no idea what to expect on the pork side i don't know either it'll be interesting but uh but i didn't mean to cut you off there delaney oh, what were you saying well no i was just gonna say going off of the the meetings between president trump and president g um president trump said on thursday that he will meet with president g very soon to try and seal a comprehensive trade deal so i don't know we don't really know if like a framework was established or if anything we don't know anything concrete really but said they're going to be meeting very soon all right yeah yeah has sent, sent in some folks to uh china yeah yeah mm -hmm. i think they're going to meet well, in beijing next time 
Beijing, yes. Yes. You're right. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're talking heads of state and, you know, negotiations going on, the uh, trouble, the unrest, the coup attempt, depending on who you ask, down in Venezuela, mm. is still ongoing. It was announced today that European Union governments are moving to recognize Juan Gallardo, who is the um, the challenger to Maduro down there in Venezuela. Most European Union governments will be recognizing him as the interim president here in the next week. So this comes behind the United States has recognized him as the president. Um, now the European Union will do so. And uh, this certainly looks as though we are going to force a transfer of power down in Venezuela here before too long between hmm. uh, Maduro and uh, the new guy, Juan Gallardo. Oh, right. Maybe that'll add some stability back into Venezuela's economy. Yeah, yeah, I think it will. It'll add some stability back into the oil markets. We've seen so much volatility there with the uh, sanctions being put on PDVSA down mm-hmm. in Venezuela. All of these things, yeah. I, yeah uh, hmm. Anytime you try to change governments, you know, who knows what could happen, but uh, at least I suppose there will be some certainty in place down there. Yes, definitely. Well, one thing that we don't have certainty on or continue to see uncertainty in is the African swine fever outbreak in China. I was reading an interesting article today on Reuters, kind of just talking about the economic impacts that Chinese people have seen from the African, from the outbreak. And it's essentially saying that some of the smaller farmers, it might, you know, bankrupt them and put them out of business. One couple that they highlighted was from a city called Shenyang. And they already have racked up about $44,000 in debt, which is 10 times what they make in a year, in a good year, raising hogs. So, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And the article also says later on, um, prices have already dropped below 4 yuan per kilogram this month, which is the lowest price in a decade, which is just weeks away from, we're just weeks away here now from their Lunar New Year party, which is normally like their peak time for pork demand. So going to continue to watch that. And it also says they're expecting to cull their herd by about a fifth by the end of the year. Well, so. a fifth. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's 20%. That's huge. Yeah, that's 20%. Yep. Man. So, oh, boy. Well, yeah. like you say, maybe we'll see some more pork exports going into China. Uh, I would be willing to bet that we probably will. Yes. Delaney, we're heading into the weekend. I'm thinking about this because you mentioned the Lunar New Year is the big pork consumption time uh, or the Chinese New Year is the big one there yes. in China. And we're coming up on kind of the uh, the chicken wing Armageddon here in this country oh. with Super Bowl Sunday, right? Yes, Isn't that this Sunday? that is. You going to watch it? I I don't know. Who are you cheering for? I guess the Rams because I hate the Patriots. Are those the two teams in it? Yes. Good job, Mike. What a sports fanatic yeah. you are. Yeah, I am. I'm a huge fan, and I guess I'm going to be rooting for the Rams as well then just because the Patriots have won enough. Exactly. I know that much about sports. Okay, good. But my big question was, are you going to be eating chicken wings and or chicken nuggets here uh, on this no, Sunday? No. No? We know that they have um, recall on them. I'm not going to eat them. 
just those few from Tyson. Most of the rest of them are fine. American food is phenomenally safe. Delaney Howell, what are you going to eat then for Super Bowl Sunday? That's a good question. I don't know yet. I haven't thought that far ahead. I got to get home first. All right. So you are coming home. You're leaving New Orleans and you're coming back to Iowa. That's right. Unfortunately. Well, or fortunately for the state of Iowa. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, I can lie with the best of them. Um, <laughs> that's good news. I don't know what I'm going to eat either. I was thinking of making a roast. Okay. Was there a point to this, or you just wanted to share what everybody's having for Super Bowl Sunday? I just I just want to hear what you're having. Listeners, let us know what you're <laughs> eating. What is your food of choice? Find us on social media. We might put a poll up. Oh, that's on, good. I like uh, that. News Daily on Twitter and on Facebook. We want to know what you're noshing on for the Super Bowl and... Who you're rooting for? Are you a Patriots fan? Are you a Rams fan? And the Rams, they're not in uh, in uh, St. Louis anymore, That's right. are they? They're in Los Angeles. L.A., the L.A. Rams. Yeah, I guess I really don't care about the Super Bowl. East Coast versus West Coast. Flyover country just gets kind of left in the middle. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. Well, speaking of left in the middle, that was kind of where soybeans finished the day, Delaney. What do you yeah. say? Should we jump into the markets? Let's do it. All right. And folks, our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch and get help with your marketing plan. Give them a shout, 312-277-0050, or visit them on the web at zaner.com. In the corn market, March corn up one and three quarters at 378 and a quarter. The May contract up one and three quarters as well to close at 387 even. In soybeans, they were well off their high on the day, but still finished in the green. The March contract up two and a half cents at 917 and three quarters. The May up two and a quarter to finish at 931 and a half. Looking at Chicago wheat, March up seven and three quarters at 524 and a quarter. The May up six and a half cents at 528 and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock, mixed trade in live cattle as the February contract was up 65 cents to close at 125.45. April down two and a half, finished at 126.2750. In feeder cattle, the March contract down two and a half cents at 142.5250. The April down 27 and a half to finish the day at 1. 144 even. Mixed trade in lean hogs as well. The February contract up 10 cents at 56.35. April down 10 cents to close at 60.12.50. Over in the dairy market in class three milk, the February contract was up a penny at 14.03 with the March unchanged on the day at 14.36. Delaney, would you like to do one more introduction for our interview for the day? I would love to. It is with Mark Blackford from Craig, Nebraska. So let's turn it over to Mark. All right. Well, I'm very excited for this guest. I've got Mark Blackford, who's from Craig, Nebraska. You're a, a feedlot producer out there, but you also do some specialty stuff. Tell me a little bit about your operation. Uh, our operation is a 10,000 head feed yard, and we have uh, a half conventional cattle that are fed traditionally, conventionally with uh, with hormone implants and beta agonists, and, and uh, then the other half of our feed yard is a uh, all-natural, never-ever Wagyu uh, feeding. We feed uh, F1 Wagyu cattle for a customer, uh, and uh, they're harvested, uh, and the customer sells the boxes. So. Wagyu is, that's so interesting, and, and I don't know a lot of producers that do that. How did you get into raising Wagyu? Um, we, we custom feed the Wagyu, so they had approached us uh, about feeding the cattle for them. Um, and I was interested in it, uh, ended up going to uh, behind the scenes, one of their uh, 
kind of meet and greet. They bring the producers uh, that they purchase the calves from, as well as the chefs and distributors that uh, they market the, the boxes of meat to uh, back to Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, from from there, they kind of show them uh, what the program's about. And after I got to go do that one time, I was kind of hooked, uh, excited about getting to do something uh, so different from the conventional beef side of our industry. Um, but yet, you know, so it's important to me that any time that, that, like this program that I'm willing to do, it's important to me that whenever we feed these cattle, it's an alternative for the consumer. It's not that all natural is better, healthier for you than conventional production. I wanted it to be a choice. I want to let the consumer make a choice. I don't want to uh, be part of the industry that is trying to just tell the consumer what they want. I want to give them the choices, and that's that's the part I love about this so much. Absolutely, and I mean that's I think that's the best mindset to have is if they want to pay a premium for this all natural beef, I'm going to raise it, but I'm also going to do it in traditional sense too. When you look at the way your wagyu beef is raised compared to conventional, your conventional operation, what are the differences there as far as feed or medication that you can and can't do? Uh, the the all natural cattle are never fed any. Uh, antibiotics at all in the feed of any kind. Um, they also never get any hormone implants at all. Um, the the second requirement I had to to feed for these uh, company was that I I wanted to have uh, I I wasn't going to allow an animal to get sick and suffer. So they have a second program in their in their system where if we have an animal that gets uh, sick, we have the ability to doctor that animal and do everything we can to make that animal better. Then that animal is identified in the system and then it goes in a separate box in a separate harvest on a separate truck, different day. And the box has a red color to it. The other boxes that are 100% never ever, they have a green. And so once a quarter they have a harvest where we harvest those animals and only those animals that day. And, uh, and so that's the best part about it is, is, is they have a, any, any of these all natural programs, I think it's important that they have some way to maintain animal welfare and the fact that if an animal gets sick, they need to have a plan for that. And that's one of the reasons I'm excited about feeding for this company. Absolutely. So when you look at the, uh, the harvest standpoint, are your conventional and your Wagyu going to the same facility and they don't both do two different kinds? Or are they each going somewhere separate? No, it's completely separate. Our conventional cattle are sold on the open market. Um, we have... Uh, some of the cattle get contracted, um, but for the majority of our conventional cattle, they're sold on a, you know, we have a show list and we have five packers come in, uh, look at our show list, and then we market the cattle. The majority of those cattle are sold in the beef. Um, we do feed some really good uh, western calves, and we'll put a lot of those calves on the grid. Uh, so when we sell them, we sell them cash, but we sell them on a grid, uh, for going for grid premiums. The Wagyu side of it, it's a custom harvest. So what, what this program is, is they own the Wagyu genetics. And these are F1s, so they're half-blood Wagyu, half American cow and half Wagyu. Um, they lease their bulls out to producers all over the U.S. Then they purchase those calves back from the producers after the calves are born and weaned. And then they come and they have them custom fed at one of three feed yards. Um, we're one of those feed yards. Um, after we get done custom feeding them, we ship them to their, right now they're uh, using a plan in Kansas, um, but 
it's a custom harvest facility. So that, that facility harvests those animals for a fee and puts it back in this company's box. Then that box goes back to their warehouses and then they distribute from there all over the U.S. When you look at the differences between, we were talking a little bit on Bourbon Street the other night about the differences between the meats and the, the things that you're feeding the Wagyu versus conventional beef. What does the meat look like compared to like a conventional fed steak? So, so the ingredients that we feed the Wagyu are exactly the same ingredients that we feed the conventional cattle. They're mixed at different ratios and the days on feed are drastically different. So the Wagyu are fed on average 460 days and they're harvested around 27 to 28 months of age. The conventional cattle are fed on average 160 days. Calf feds would be over 200. Um, and and the, the rations are made up of exactly the same ingredients but they're fed at different levels. So with the, with the all-natural Wagyu, since it's on feed for 460 days, we feed a lot more highly digestible fiber for a long time um, before we put them on the higher grain portions of the ration. So our conventional cattle diet uh, are harvested on average about 16 to 18 months of age, calf feds at 14 and 24 months for, for the long yearlings. But um, the Wagyu, um, they're harvested at 28 months of age. So we grow them or, or basically get them set up to be finished until they're about 18 months of age on higher protein, higher fiber diets. Um, so they spend a lot more time on those lower, higher roughage diets. What does that do then to the meat? I mean, what's the point of waiting that long as opposed to doing it like a conventional steer or heifer? So a, wag, a Wagyu, whenever we feed it, it uh, they, they're more like feeding a high-producing dairy cow than they are like feeding a conventional steer. So whenever we feed them um, those high-fiber diets, we maintain a lot more rumen health. So the rumen has longer papillae. Um, if we have a high-producing dairy cow and we push her really hard, um, we can get a lot of milk out of her, but we won't get it for enough lactation. So to get her paid for, we need to have her go through three and a half to four lactations. Um, with a Wagyu steer that's on feed, we need that rumen to be healthy once the animal gets older, so we keep that rumen really healthy with long papillae um, until until they get up uh, to the right age to be harvested. Because they just, if we push them faster and try and harvest them younger, they will not grade good enough. The Wagyu will grade over 90% prime, and so um, they just won't grade if you push them and do them too young you got to get them to that age where they work do they have to grade 90 percent higher or prime or is that just how it, how it always comes out that's the target that's the target they need they need to get to there or they're probably not going to work in these programs that's kind of a you know what we need them to do in order to stay successful long term and profitable um, you ask about the differences in the meat itself and and wagyu um animals they their marbling is different than angus uh, or any other conventional breed because uh, the marbling has a much finer texture to it so if we fed angus cattle for really long periods of time like we do with the wagus the marbling specks in the muscle would get bigger and bigger and they would not be appealing to the eye because they would just get to be bigger and bigger spots where the wagyu kind of creates feathers within the muscle cells and then they get more and more and more um, the fat in Wagyu is different. It's, uh, it's more unsaturated. It actually a little bit healthier for, for us, um, melts at a lower point, and has a much more buttery and rich texture and flavor to it. 
And the other thing you mentioned the other day, I can't remember exactly what you said, but basically the marbling will change colors, right, based off of the diet, like a grass-fed versus a corn-fed. Yeah, the the whenever the wagyu are graded in Japan, uh, there's what's called a BMS uh, marbling scale, and. And on their scale, on the Wagyu's marbling scale, they take into account the amount of marbling, but also the color of the lean and the color of the fat in within the, the steak. So that those colors are important. And the more uh, grass-fed uh, animals will have a much more yellow color to them. So it's important what ingredients you're using whenever you feed cattle to get that grain-fed flavor and grain-fed fat. And corn-fed, grain-fed animals have a much wider color fat to them. And that's important in the Wagyu grading system. So what color is the ideal color? Like a white or a clear color? The whiter, the better. Interesting. Okay. So I know you're just raising the cattle, but do you know after they go to the harvester and then back to um, the company that you raise for, where are they retailing this Wagyu to? Are they sending it overseas? Is it here in the U.S.? It's almost all kept right here in the U.S. The demand in the U.S. is much higher than the supply as of right now and has been. Um, And it's it's a rapid growth part of our industry right now. Um, I noticed in a presentation uh, that I watched yesterday there was a slide put up and, and that premium branded product has a 48% growth rate this last year. Um, uh, And so it's kind of what's happening right now. That honestly is probably the most rewarding part about this is I've got to feed cattle for a while. I'm third generation cattle producer and grew up on a ranch and and, uh, been in the feed yard. And it's exciting for me because I have actual chefs and distributors on my feed yard. They want to come see where these animals are raised so that these companies bring them to my feed yard. And I get to show off what we do in Nebraska, what we do in the Midwest, how we feed beef and how it matters to us and how uh, the family that we have as employees and people at our feed yard, how it's a family and we care for the animals. And you get to show that in this situation. You don't get to show that with conventional production as much with this it's expected that i show off our place and so that's fun that's fun that's really neat so you're getting chefs you're probably getting some international visitors and consumers what are some of the reactions that you get from people who maybe just haven't been on a farm or don't really have a real perception of how cattle are raised they are thirsty for knowledge people that haven't got to be exposed to it it's amazing and and i i have a lot of tour groups and not all of them are you know it's fun with this because they're actually in the meat industry but they don't understand where cattle come from right um and it's fun to teach those people that and it's obvious why they would have a desire to know that because this is part of their business and the more they know about it the better they can sell our product for us um but it's fun we get we get tours from from student groups and, and other countries and everything else and and it's amazing how if you're willing to take the time to share what you do how they devour it and and love it they want to know why we do what we do and how we do it especially whenever it's obvious uh, with our demeanor our tone of voice that it matters to us you know that's impressive to them and so i i get a reward from getting to do that that's awesome i love that um final question for you so if producers sitting at home maybe they are cattle producers maybe they're not but what advice do you have for them if they're interested in doing something like this and diversifying their operations? I mean, it can seem like a daunting challenge to find, you know, maybe Wagyu or doing something organic or changing something that's been part of their family business for so long. How did, 
you overcome that or what advice do you have? Um, I, well, the, the advice that I would have is um, make sure you align yourself with people that understand the other segments of our business besides just what you do. Um, you get to be the expert on how to feed the animals. If, that's, if you're a feed yard and you feed cattle, you get to be that expert, but you can't go this alone. You need to align yourself with uh, people in other segments of our industry because there's the rancher, the producer, there's the feed yard, there's the harvest facilities, and then there's the selling of the meat, you know, the distribution of the meat. And you need to make sure that you have all four of those boxes checked. Don't go into something like this with one or two of those boxes checked and think that the rest of it will take care of itself because it won't. Um, it's a struggle and it's important and and the thing that you'll learn as you do it if you go into this is how uh, some of the things that you take for granted granted can have such a big impact on the other segments of the industry the struggles that they're facing and they need your help oh I I need more animals this age so we, we need to find more animals born in these months because we need to we need to harvest and sell X number of animals every week to keep that supply chain. Those people order it from us, they get it, they like it, they want it next week, and they want it all 52 weeks of the year. They don't just want it in October, November, December. And in our industry, we calve very heavily in February, March, and April. And so when you're thinking about the age of the animal and how many days it's on feed and so on and so forth, which all matters in anything where you're going for a premium grade, that age is very important. Um, and so uh, it's important to work with producers that understand that and try and have calves at a time of year when it's not the most convenient. It doesn't work in your management system to have a calf in October. But you need to, if you want to be part of a group like that, you've got to figure out ways to, to make that system work, even if it's not the way Grandpa did it. Absolutely awesome. Mark, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Well, again, a big thank you to Mark. Interesting stuff. He invited me to come out to his feedlot here after the weather kind of hopefully takes a turn for the better. So I think I might take him up on that. Absolutely. I want to go with you. I love cattle feedlots. Mm -hmm. Me too. Me too. Very cool. Listeners, we'd love to stop by your place as well. Let us know where you're at, what you do, and if we can make it, we'll swing by and talk with you. Find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Ag News Daily or visit our website at agnewsdaily.com. It'll take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network where you can catch up with us and all of our other podcast buddies. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.